everyone. I'm Denise Garth, Chief Strategy Officer at Majesco, and you're listening to the Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast series. Follow along as I interview the best and brightest leaders in the insurance industry and insure tech landscape to bring you the latest in digital transformation, innovation, industry trends, challenges, and opportunities, as well as next-gen technologies. We use our experience to anticipate what's next without losing sight of what's now. Stay tuned to find out your next now. Welcome, everybody, to today's podcast series, The Future of Insurance Industry Leaders. I'm thrilled today to have Craig Arneson, the Vice President of Utilco Casualty Group, uh, joining us today. Ulico is a very interesting company, and we've got a lot of interesting things to talk about. So Craig, welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So Craig, I always like to start off my sessions to give the audience a perspective. So if you could kind of give a little bit of background about yourself, your role at Ulico, a little bit of background about Ulico and our partnership. Over my career, I started out originally in the Navy. I spent time in there, sail the world, do a lot of fun things, get exposed to a lot of different experiences, and also help grow me up as a person at a young age. And when I got out of the Navy, I started in the insurance industry. And my path there has been, I started at an agency, and then I went to an MGA, and then a carrier, and I'm back at an MGA. So I've gotten to see a nice broad scale of operations. And that helped lead to my current job right now, Ulico Casualty Group. Ulico is affinity financial solutions provider. We have different pieces in the company that do investments in life and health. And But the piece that I work at, Ulico Casualty Group, is targeted specifically at the property and casualty insurance needs of the union space. Ulico has a mission to serve that. In the end, our main goal is, is to try to provide ways to protect against risk, make better financial solutions for strictly the union space. And so that gives us the mission of, it's not like we can decide to go do restaurant insurance. We can't pull a Nokia and go from rubber boots to cell phones. You know, In the end, we have to be focused on how to deliver these solutions profitably and well to be able to make sure that the financial lives of the union space, its members all the way over to the other side of the spectrum to its employers are viable and successful. Interesting background, Craig, and thanks for your service in the military. I, both my husband and my side both have relation that have been in the military, and that really does give you, I think, a really unique kind of perspective when you kind of come back out into the private sector. You know, Ulico really has a unique mission and focus with the union, and it has a really rich history. How does that really relate to your transformation journey that you've been on and the strategy and the components that you've been really focused in on? Ulico has been around for 95 years. And it's a long history, and it started with an original need of union workers couldn't get life insurance. There was a movement to keep life insurance away from union workers back in the 20s to try to, you know, maybe break the back a bit of this whole new union thing. Ulico stepped into the void with the help of national labor organizations to create a life insurance company, and it's grown from there. And that original seed of meeting that need is kind of what guides us now. In the end, in terms of how we approach transformation, how we approach IT strategy, how we approach operational strategy, we very much try to keep in mind that every dollar that has been invested in Ulico or sources Ulico in terms of its capital is coming at some point from the very grassroots of a worker. We don't have the luxury or the balance sheet to say, oh, well, this project didn't work, so we need to write it off and start fresh. We really have to 
measure twice and cut once and make sure that what we're delivering serves those needs and respects that original source. Our CEO, Ed Smith, always talks about that in the end, how is Ulico representing that group? How do we dedicate ourselves to providing it? And in the end, give the best solutions that they need. It's a constantly sort of self-reflective process. I think coming from the military, I think one of the reasons that I've been at Ulico, and this may all have been at Ulico for 17 years, part of what has kept me here is, is I think that I have found it natural fit for my personality to feel like I have a mission in addition to just working. That I think is a constant underlying presence in Ulico. And so that guides the strategy and not to be long-winded on the response, but it, it guides the strategy in that everything we do has to be put into that framework. That's fascinating. I had no idea on the history that unions weren't allowed to have insurance. That's just astounding, quite frankly. You know, not to paint it as nefarious or anything else like that. It was hard to get and people didn't want to do it. And, you know, there really was a need there. And so there was sort of this, well, we need to take care of this ourselves. And I think that that's one thing that Ulico has done for a long time. There was a fiduciary liability crisis in the 80s that Ulico stepped into because ERISA plans, multi-employer plans require fiduciary insurance. And the market was having a tough time providing it. Ulico stepped in. And that's the kind of thing that, that Ulico has always done and looks to try to do. The other thing that when you and I were talking about, Craig, is that you have a unique background. You've led two different core replacement programs, one in 2007, and now the one here at Ulico that you started in 2019. That's a 12-year difference. Technology, the approach, the need of the industry are vastly different in a 12-year period of time. What are the differences from those two experiences, and how has the technology evolved to better meet business and support a transformation effort than what you experienced back in 2007? 12 years might as well be 120 when it comes to technology, <laughs> right? Talk about this. 2007 is, I think, the first year that the first iPhone was released. I mean, when you think of what our technology looks like now compared to then, it's a vast, vast difference. I forget the exact statistics, but I forgot. I think it's 65 to 70% of web traffic now is on mobile devices. And in 2007, everyone was using PCs and laptops. That transformation, what it really has changed is people's expectations. What are they looking to see from their technology, what is their core assumptions about what technology can do? So when introducing and trying to go from, and to be fair, the systems that were core replacements at the time were much more sort of task oriented, whereas now really technology is almost a core or a spine of the enterprise. You know, there, there's nothing that we do that at some point I'm not circling back to my Majesco system during the day billing policy claims, renewal letters. At some point, everything flows through that because it's also where we maintain our records. And so there has been this huge expectation of kind of going from, I need a single device to do this one thing. And now I need this core replacement of all of the work we do. I think that that has necessitated not only a change in approach, but also a change in the education of, of the people that we work with. You know, what you would you know say is, in entry-level folks doing the most common, when I say common, what I mean is it's common across industries, accepting applications, doing things like you have to make sure that the folks who are working at that level, all the way up to a more advanced level in terms of processes, have to be educated and have to understand, here's what a system can do, here's what a system can't do, within the framework of what is you know, operationally affordable and that we have the time and resources to do. 
How do we meet that mission? How do you get that from the technology? And, you know, in the end, it's managing expectations largely, but to say that the transformation of the technology from then to now, it's just, it's a different world. You were asking many of the same questions, but the end goal was different in 07. I think that really poses an interesting perspective for people on this transformation journey is really making sure that the technology that they're implementing is going to be able to adapt to a rapidly changing marketplace that you're not kind of stuck in the past and making sure that what configurations you do and and what you're kind of doing around it gives you that flexibility to continually move forward rather than being held back. Absolutely. We constantly kept an eye as we were implementing Majesco is, you know, this is no longer buying, here's this tool to accomplish this task. This is our work life. And we have to have a good partner and we have to create a system, but we can't just try to replicate everything that we do today. We really have to look forward to an eye of what processes do we, we replicate on a daily basis? What is our end goals? And to the extent we can, how can we anticipate that? We don't want to build a solution for something that we have today that three years from now is going to be irrelevant. And so you you then face the double-edged sword of having to walk back those changes and build something new. One of the concepts we talked about that kind of has a relationship to this is, is something you talked about is the operational triangle of time, money, and people for projects. Talk about this approach and how it tied to your initiative, your corporate culture, and the mission. It's not an original idea that, you know, you have a project, there's a triangle, and it's often talked about in, uh, I I believe it's often talked about in time, money, and scope, but the way we've implemented and used it, you look at more time, money, and people, because the scope is, let's say, not to get too mathematical here, is the area of the triangle, right? So anytime you approach a project, you have to assume without a change in scope, the area of the triangle is going to stay the same. Now, you can bend that triangle. Less people is going to need more money and or more time. And it's a Ulico Casualty Group being a small organization. And we're selling in 50 states across 12, 15 different policy lines. We have a pretty high operational demand and tempo, and we don't have endless resources. And we also keep in mind, as building on the earlier responses, that those resources are at the end coming from union workers. We really had to try to keep in mind of trying to keep that scope. And towards your last question that we were talking about, making sure that we're building things that are flexible, reproducible processes, not just, hey, this is how I do it. I like to press this button and I want this to happen and this to spit out. And sometimes it's, okay, you do it that way and it's going to be two or three steps for you, but you're now putting a huge workload on automation that may be an enormous amount of cost. It would be a much better spend on some other thing that will create us the opportunity to do something more flexible or organically grow down the line. And so that approach of trying to figure out always that whatever we're asking to have done is going to have a trade-off. You know, there's there's no free lunches. You know, in the end, we have so many people, so much money, and usually less time than we want. <laughs> so how do you keep the pointy end of the spear on target within that framework? And though it gets probably repetitive and boring to hear with, you know, when you're doing this over the course of 18 months, you keep asking those same questions. And when I was talking with Majesco project leads and the good partnership we had with our own IT department, when we would ask for something, we're trying to do something. Is this a $3 thing, a $30 thing, a $300 thing, a $3,000 thing? If we do this, what's the trade-off on time? $3 in eight minutes. Great, do it. But if it's $300,000 and it's going to be eight months, what is the actual operational value of what we're trying to accomplish? If the payoff on that end isn't worth it, we need to look at another solution. And it turns out, many times it turned out, well, okay, if the system will do this thing, 
And then we can do two or three manual steps. And then we arrive at this point, we accomplish the same end goal without having to rely on so much either customization of the system, automation that requires a 50 branch decision tree to be programmed in. And so that's how that impacted that. That really ties into another area that we talked about. And this is probably one of the most challenging areas in a transformation project, particularly for insurance, because a lot of what we do is really complex. Whether it's underwriting, whether it might be a claims process, it can get kind of complex. And what we really want to do is to look at taking the complex and making it simple. And from an operational process and definitely from a technology perspective, that's possible. So share how you applied this concept to your transformation journey and what examples can you share? In the end, you know, I, I talked about a full engagement with our staff. Before we ever started doing any kind of blueprinting, anything, we sat with our whole staff. We did user stories. We talked and we tried to educate, make sure that from the lowest tier to the highest tier in terms of a responsibility and accountability, everyone understood what it was we were trying to get out of the system and that we weren't trying to replicate what we used to do in our old system. We're trying to build a system to manage our work process. What looks like simple in terms of technology may not always be simple in terms of process. It goes back to the expectations about smartphones and things. People are used to being able to touch a few screen taps and something happens, but they don't always have a full understanding of the immense amount of infrastructure and foundational programming that may go behind that. I think touchscreen technology first came on the market, I want to say in the 80s, and it took 20 more years before it became something viable that could be portable. So we try to keep that. And the analogy I use sometimes was making a sandwich. Well, people are like, oh yeah, you put some meat, slap a sandwich, put it together. Okay. But if you're trying to tell a computer to do that, where do you get the bread? What kind of bread? Are you always using the same kind of bread? Is it always the same kind of meat? All these decisions that human beings are making on a quick basis, at some point, someone is programming that into the computer. And if it's not already there, it has to be built. So sometimes simplicity looks like relying on the system. Sometimes simplicity looks like it realizing where we as the users can interface and make something simple. And everybody would love to be able to touch a button. Do you have all the underwriting done? It spits out a policy. And if a claim comes in, you just feed it in the machine. But at some point, and this goes back to the, as the conversation builds, we got to stay within our operational triangle. We have to stay within our mission. And we can't build things that, though may solve an immediate problem, aren't going to long-term. It's a long-winded, again, I say a long-winded answer, but it was in order to build simplicity, we wanted to build simplicity of process, not necessarily simplicity of user interface. And we, we were trying to make sure people understood that and that things are going to change. You know, you sometimes, I, you know, with, with some processes that we implemented, people at first were like, oh, I used to be able to do this in two steps on the old system. Well, it's okay. Now you do it in three steps and you do something else, but then it makes something else down the line easier. So keep in mind that trade-off because really the end goal here isn't make one person's job easier or automate this. It's our main job is still take in submissions and deliver insurance to the end user. So we have to look at that as a holistic process constantly. And that's why we try to make sure we educated from the bottom up. And the benefit of that is, is yeah, sure, I'm vice president of operations and I've got all these years of experience. I'm not the one down doing the work on a daily basis. So the fact is, is getting those people engaged, what I think is something that has to be done. They're like, no, 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 I can do that easily by doing this. And it's like, oh, okay. And we kind of included that process in everything we did. And with the end goal of trying to save man hours, of trying to save diminish response times, because that's also the expectations of our clients, right? That they've been out there using the cell phones too. When they send in a submission and we go, okay, well, we'll get back to you in 72 hours. They're like, what? 
why would it take you 72 hours? I'm going to send you a text. I'm going to send you a Teams notice. I'm going to send you an email. I'm going to call you. I'm going to be able to reach out to you four different ways. And I'm going to demand, why is it going to take 72 hours? So it was that, that kind of constant process. It's it's not a whiz-bang answer, but it it's a mindfulness of what it is we're doing at all times and reasserting that as the, the primary point. Well, you know, that really kind of ties into also one of the objectives of your transformation was really to build it to meet customer needs when uh, when they need them, creating agility to adapt to the market needs, but also kind of taking that outside in approach of really taking that customer view, that customer set of expectations. What new expectations do you see emerging from your customers and in in your unique market perspective that you can anticipate supporting now through this transformation? The fact is, is like the rest of the world, we're getting to a point where there is a transformation happening right now where not to get into kind of any sociological discussion, but you know, that baby boomer generation, there's a lot of leadership out there that is retiring, moving on. And there's the people coming up from behind are digital natives. You know, that they are people who have worked with understood technology and understood speed, quicker response. And they have expectations and, and desires, especially when in the end you think, you know, going out and buying insurance isn't like going out and buying the car you've always wanted. No one is, I think, ever woken up on a morning and said, I get to go buy insurance today. So you have to reduce the burden. And especially, I think insurance is one of those things that can be very intimidating for the clients in that in the end, you're buying it to offset risk, risks you're not sure of. And then you're buying a complex contractual relationship in a policy contract. You're not an expert at reading. So there's, for lack of a better word, a lot of faith in it. And so we have to meet the needs of, especially as these people are rising in their own levels of leadership and responsibility, of being able to something that meets that mission. They need to feel safe. They need to feel that they're getting the product they need. They need to be able to feel that they could get a quick response. If there's something wrong, they need to be able to contact us and be get a timely response that provides them the tools they need to meet that actual real life business need. Again, it goes to expectations and speed. It goes to evolving marketplace. 2007, though cyber liability did exist, not everyone knew what it was, but now we're talking with people, you know, who have maybe been in the union world for 40, 50 years, and they're having in-depth discussions with us about multi-factor authentication. Those weren't conversations we were having six years ago, seven years ago, you know? I think that that's that evolving need. And so it's the combination of us trying to meet and develop a system that flexibly adapts to those changing needs, a quicker response, and the the broadening of responsibilities on the part of our client base. When I think about some of the research that we've done, you know, there's a changing set of expectations for this younger generation of millennials and Gen Z that are coming up and they have a different set of risk needs. And They want more personalized insurance based upon their own personal risk. And they want very much digital experiences, whether it's paying the bill or getting a claim payment in a out there. There's just a whole different expectation and it just keeps snowballing and it just keeps on growing faster and faster out there. So, you know, you guys have done some amazing work to really kind of get a foundation in place that's really going to allow you to really kind of shift and adapt and kind of accelerate in, in areas that you um, that that some of your competition aren't going to be able to do. You hope so. And, you know, we've had the luxury of that most of our insurance products are sold to entities as opposed to individuals. But part of what we're taking is a judicious approach as we one day hope to expand into individual lines and being able to provide insurance to the individual union members is we understand that if we send them a paper application and tell them to send a check to us at this address, they're going to balk. Why can't I pay for my phone? Why can't I fill this out? 
while I'm having my coffee and tap away on this. So we're building towards understanding that need. So I, I think you captured it perfectly. You know, these large transformation initiatives really take a strong partnership approach. It's not like a vendor supplier approach. It really truly is a partnership approach. What partnership expectations and relationships aspects do you find to be most important and how did it work through your transformation journey? I'm going to give a shout out to my IT department here because if they listen to this, I don't want them to be remiss to think that I don't, you know, in the end, I'm starting them and then I want to strongly advocate for Majesco here. Nobody can do this alone. And having a strong partnership with our IT department who was fully on board for all the user stories and, and documentation and understanding our processes and then turning around with Jesco, I would say this if I was talking to anyone, you have to find an IT partner. You have to find, you know, we'll use the term vendor, but you have to find an IT partner, an external IT partner with who you can fight well, with who you can resolve problems well. You know, when you talk about a process over four years, you're going to hit difficulties where something seems really difficult and you have to be able to resolve those processes well. You have to be able to resolve those conflicts well. You have to be able to talk it out and still be ready to get up the next day, go sit with each other and work. And I'm overstating and saying fight because I don't think I've ever had a fight with Majesco. But whenever I'm talking to somebody about it is, is like someone who comes in, everything seems to be glidingly perfect. And you're having no issues and the, no battle plan ever survives first contact with the enemy. That's where you really know. And that's what you need to look for because you also have to keep the expectation in you can't build a perfect system. Everything is going to have some difficulties. And so how do you resolve those difficulties? What is the, the the resolution process? With Majesco, we found a really good partner in that. I thought that we found at the first was they also understood exactly the unique nature of what we have. We're not going to go out and spend, I'll be absurd here, but hundreds of millions of dollars on a system because in the end, we have to pay a certain respect to our affinity and where we're coming from. And so the things that I've talked about on this podcast are the things we've been talking about with Majesco from day one, and they've been responsive. And I think you have to enroll that kind of partnership. I, I think you're right. You're going to see it as a vendor client. I see Majesco as my client. I see my IT department as my client. I have to meet their needs. I have to make sure that they're fully engaged and supported to meet my needs. And I feel like that that sort of two-way client relationship has been replicated by my IT department and by Majesco. And what you find then is you're moving forward in cooperation. I think that's essential. I think that that really behooves and strengthens the opportunity for success. And without getting into specifics, our engagement with Majesco now has been almost going four years. And our initial build out was on time and within three to 5% of original budget, which is incredible because our scope changed during that time too. So when you look at those kind of metrics on a project of this complexity that is becoming the core operating enterprise system for how we accomplish everything we do, I don't think that could have been accomplished without that kind of a partnership. So true. And I think it truly was a partnership because it was both of us at the table really trying to figure out what was the best way and the best approach to accomplish what it is that you needed to accomplish and the give and take on both sides. And that's truly what partnership can deliver is really amazing results like that. Absolutely. And keeping a mind on that, it comes down to good conflict resolution. It comes down to good communication not going to someone and spouting your frustrations or your angers, but saying, here's what my needs and here's what I have to be able to communicate to my leadership. How can you arm me to do that? 
What do you need? Okay, what accommodations can I make to help you do the same on your side? That's where the IT comes in because on my side, you know, they have an objective to support us. We have an objective to support our clients. Majesco has an objective to meet their financial goals, their company's goals at the same time. And in the end, I think we all want a 10-year relationship, not a 10-month relationship. So how do we accomplish that? And how do we meet and keep those, again, mindfully in place? So Craig, I, I always love to kind of wrap up my podcasts with the same question I ask everybody and no pressure, but we've only had a couple of duplicates in all the podcasts that we have done. So the question is, if you could pick one word or phrase to describe the future of insurance, what would it be and why? My word I'd say is growth. I think that growth in the terms of growth of financial returns, growth of the needs of the insurance industry, growth in the perception of the insurance industry. You know, as opposed to being a necessary evil with all the things we've talked today about changing expectations, speed of technology, all that. I think then, you know, you've also factor in that more often than not, individual companies and individuals within that company are becoming more specialized in what they're doing. The unknown related to their work becomes larger. One of the best ways from a business perspective to mitigate that is risk management, risk transfer. I feel like insurance overall as a response to a marketplace need is growing and will continue to grow as complexity, speed, and evolution keep snowballing, keep increasing. All business models go through a cycle, but I feel like the number of policies has proliferated. The number of type of risk responses has proliferated. You know, the concept of what risk management needs, both a priori and afterwards has grown to an extent. And I think that that is an ongoing trend because it, we have to be able to move forward with certainty to execute on our plans. And to do that, we have to put insurance into place, I think, or you know, more broadly risk management. I think that the concept of what growth was and without giving away you know, how many years I've been in the insurance industry, but a long time ago, there wasn't a lot of people who came out from college saying, I did a risk management degree. I did an insurance degree. And now I run into that much more often. I think that the growth is what how I see the future of insurance, which necessitates growth in all the related industries, technology, you know, personnel support, communication, marketing. I think insurance is a growth industry. Couldn't agree more because we do have large gaps of people and businesses who do not have coverage for insurance. So we have an opportunity as an industry with new innovative products that really meet the unique needs of individuals and companies, as well as the technology that we can really begin to close that protection gap that's out there in the marketplace still. And to your point about millennials and Gen Z, it's going to be also a transformation of how we deliver all the historical type products. It's a growth in not only delivery, it's a, it's a growth in evolution and consumption. It's a growth in, in needs. It's a growth in new products. I think that it has been a fascinating industry to be a part of from that perspective, because I think it reflects so much of what is actually going on in our country at large, in the, in the world at large. So. Absolutely. Well, Craig, thank you so much for the partnership. We are thrilled to be your long-term partner and looking forward to many of the new initiatives that you guys have going on, you know, that are really going to meet the needs of your very unique niche market. Looking forward to great things ahead. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you to Majesco. You know, as I said, literally we couldn't do what we do without what we've developed with, with Majesco. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. It's nice to be able to sort of step back and actually look at it in a holistic approach. So I've well, appreciated this. And a huge accomplishment for your organization, you know, for the entire Ulico organization 
and for your customers. Huge accomplishment. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Have a good day. All right. You too. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast. Subscribe to our market-leading podcast series available wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in the next time.